In continuing our thinking about these three weeks, period of mourning, which concludes with Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av, of course, is a fast day. And it's a fast day which begins at night and continues all the way to the next evening. So it's a full 24, 25-hour fast day. The only other fast day that we have, which is a real fast day, is Yom HaKippurim. Yom Kippur is a real fast day. May Erev at Erev, from even to even, from night to night. But all the other fast days, the minor fasts, are only in the daytime. They're not actually full days of fasting. So Tishabav is the exception. It's a real fast day. It's a real Tanit Sibur. It's a real public fast day. On the other hand, it is, of course, a day of mourning. Some of the practices we have on Tisha B'Av, sitting on the ground, for example, have nothing to do with fasting. So Tisha B'Av has uh, a very different sense as well. One can see these two aspects as complementary. But on the other hand, there's something even contradictory about them. Fasting, of course, is related to repentance. Shuva. It's thinking about correcting things, the future. And Avigut is focused in on the present moment, what has been lost. And it's interesting that when it comes to fasting, fast days, the practice of the Jewish people on fast days is to add prayers. These prayers are known as slichot. Slichot consists primarily of the recitation of what are called the Yud Gimel Midot, the attributes of God's mercy. And we first encountered these attributes of God's mercy after the episode of the golden calf, after Moshe breaks the tablets. And then the question is, can we repair the breach? Because breaking the tablets means you can't build the tabernacle. Torah has been lost as well. Can this abyss, can this breach be repaired? Can the connection be made? And Moshe intercedes on behalf of the people. Moshe is the intermediary that tries to bring God and the people together. And Moshe succeeds at the end in repairing the breach. God agrees to give Moshe a second set of tablets, and then the Mishkan can be built. And what makes it all possible is Moshe's appeal to God, and in chapter 34 of Exodus, God reveals to Moshe the attributes of mercy. Hashem Hashem, Elrachum Vechanun, Erech Apayim, Vrav Chesed Vemet. The recitation of those attributes of mercy, of these midot, are what we know in our tradition as slichot. That's the core of the penitential service. The slichot, some form of slichot, are traditionally recited on every fast day. And of course, on the day of Yom Kippur, the great fast day, the slichot are an integral part of the Yom Kippur service. The one fast day that we don't say slichot is Tishabav. On Tishabav, at least in the Ashkenazic rite, there are no Srichot. And the reason for that, presumably, is because on Tishabav, in the Book of Lamentations, and this is picked up by our tradition, we have the expression Satam Tfilati, my prayers are stopped up. The mourner actually says fewer prayers. The mourner is not in a place to pray. The mourner feels distant from God. The mourner has been struck by death in one form or another. And God is very remote. God is very distant and inaccessible. So the mourner's prayers are fewer, but the penitent's prayers are greater. 
So on Tishbev, we have to make a choice, fewer or greater. And apparently, in the Ashkenazic ritual, the answer seems to be fewer. And instead of slichot, one might say what replaces the slichot are the kinot, are the elegies and the lamentations. So Tishbev has with it two contradictory elements. And it's actually interesting to see how these two elements play out. For example, on the morning of Tishbev, the Torah is read. The Torah is read in the in the tune of the Book of Lamentations, Eicha, from Jeremiah, a sofa sifem. In that haftorah that we recite in the morning, one of the verses is Kirula Mekonanot Utfoena, call the wailing women, and they will teach us how to mourn, they'll teach us how to cry. On the afternoon of Tishabav, there we are reading what we read on every fast day. And we read it with the regular tune, the regular trup, as we call it. Tamea Mikra. It's not read as a fasting reading, as a as a morning reading. It's read as a fasting reading. So within the day of Tisha B'Av itself, we have these two different, in a certain sense, contradictory elements. It's both. And I think that fundamentally, primarily, we see Tisha B'Av as a day of mourning. As I mentioned last time, of course, mourning means a day of loss. And we're thinking about what is it that has been lost? What is missing? On Tisha B'Av, the Mishnah listed five things that happened on Tisha B'Av, And it begins with that on the day of Tisha B'Av, Nigzal Avotenu Shloyi On Tisha B'Av, it was decreed that our ancestors, that refers to the people that left Egypt, those that walked out of Egypt, that they will not possess the land. So what Tishabav represents, as far as the Torah is concerned, that story in the Torah, that's the culmination of the leaving of Egypt. The generation that left Mitzrayim, that leaves Egypt, they were guilty of two great sins, several others, but two great sins in the Torah. The first was the golden calf, which is marked by Shivasa Batamus, and there Moshe interceded on behalf of the people, and God taught Moshe the attributes of God's mercy. And Moshe employs them to reconnect the people to God. And the Mishkan is built. The tabernacle is built. But then the journey through the desert continues. And then we have another story, which marks the end of that generation. And that's the story of the scouts, the Muraglim, as they are called. A story that appears in the book of Bamidbar, chapters 13 and 14. And of course, repeated as well in the beginning of the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy, the beginning of Devarim, is always the Torah reading before Tisha B'Av, the Meraglim. And in that story, it's interesting that after the Meraglim, which is the people's refusal to move forward, the people refuse to go into the land, they're afraid, they even think of going, speak of going back to Egypt, they cry, and it is decreed, as the Mishnah says, Nixar Avotenu, and it's interesting that in that story as well, Moshe appeals to God when each of the two stories threatens to destroy the people. And in each case, Moshe appeals to God and uses the attributes of mercy. But in the second story, in the story of the Muraglim, people were crying, Moshe didn't appeal to God with the full 13 attributes of mercy. Moshe has a truncated form of the Yud Gimel Midot. He leaves out Rachel Vachanun. 
He leaves out the merciful and the gracious God, and he begins his prayer to God in the 14th chapter of the book of Bamidbar with Erech HaPayim, the long-suffering God. Because in the book of Exodus, in the beginning of this story, the tragic aspect of the story, story of the golden calf, the people have not rejected the land. That was God's plan, to take us to a land, a land of milk and honey, a land that we can create our own just society. So Moshe prays for the people. Moshe recalls God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about the land, and God agrees to give us a second chance. But in the second story, the people reject the land. We are not going to the land. We reject it. So Moshe can't say to God, let them go into the land, because they don't want to go into the land. So Moshe has a different prayer. And the prayer there is, not that this generation can go into the land, but this generation should survive, and the next generation will pick up where the first generation leaves off. In order to do that, we pray to God to be patient. Erech apayim. Rachum v'chanon is about the relationship, compassion, and grace. Long-suffering, Erech apayim, is about allowing these people to survive and giving the next generation a chance to move forward. So that's the story of Tishabov. The mourning on Tishabov, which is so severe, is that from one perspective, we acknowledge the fact that as we are, we can't move forward. But by the same token, we can move forward, if not through our own personal efforts, by, by creating an opportunity for others to pick up where we leave off. And that's the idea of Tishabov. So Tishabov, of course, is the end of the story in a certain sense, but it's never fully the end of the story. Because Tishabov is not just a day of mourning, it's also a day of fasting. It's a day in which on the Torah, as the rabbinic tradition sees it, Moshe did appeal to God through these attributes of mercy. And these attributes of mercy become the central prayer of the next cycle. The cycle after the three weeks. The three weeks come after Shavuot, after the time of receiving the Torah, and they precede a different cycle. Rosh Hashanah, Yom HaKippurim, and Sukkot, which is all about building a space in which God and the people share a space. So the, the step before Yom Kippur, which is the day of Hashem, Hashem, Kerachum V'chanun, the penitence prayer, the step before full repentance is an understanding of the problem. So Tishabav actually, which concludes the three weeks, from one perspective is the end, but from a different perspective is just the beginning. We have gone so far, but there are other ways to move forward. So Tishabav is a culmination of the three weeks, but looks towards the other great fast day of the year, which is Yom HaKippurim, the day of the penitence prayer.